Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let me just make clear, somebody was wondering if I was trick-or-treating last night and forgot something, but uh, actually I, what I'm wearing is from Ghana, and Berlinda's shop there made this for me. I don't wear it every week, but we do so in some sense to identify with the church worldwide, and I'm thankful to do so. In fact, it's really comfortable. <laughs> This guy could get used to this. The only thing I can't get used to is I lost this down in way down underneath it. It was between my leg and the, the, the shirt, and I uh, wasn't used to that. So I was pretty confident this thing absolutely disappeared. <laughs> it wasn't until I stood up that it fell out and I found it. So there's some things to get used to, but uh, we again, realize there's not a dress that is universal to the persecuted church, but like I said, there's very few that wear suits and ties. Uh, Many of them in various parts of the world, and indeed four of the ten most persecuting nations are in Africa, though uh, Ghana is not experiencing that at the moment. It appears to be coming in the form of of Islam, from the north, and so we're concerned with this country, with many other countries, and thankful for the various countries throughout the world that are represented here, those who are born in other places, and a number of them, places where religion is severely restricted and where some have suffered uh, severely for Christ. And we uh, rejoice to gather together with you in this place as we think about the church worldwide. This day of international recognition for the persecuted church really links ideally with what was uh, a focus from the beginning on this day in our ministry advance 2016. I think it is ideal that we bring these two ideas together, and I want to develop that uh, theme today in what is a far more practical uh, sermon that might be typical for our church. But having just concluded the series in Colossians coming to the end of 2015 and desiring to be part of the work of Jesus worldwide, uh, this seems to be an ideal day for us to focus uh, in this way. Six years ago, for those that are not aware, Eden Baptist Church ventured out onto an initiative that we knew from the outset would require sacrifice and faith. As our ministry grew increasingly confined by our landlocked building in Savage, we determined that we had the opportunity to rest at ease. We were very comfortable there financially and enjoyed the place, as ugly as it might appear to those that are just seeing it for the first time. We loved it. We loved being there. But we determined not to rest at ease, but rather to relocate. We were inspired, first of all, by wisdom personified in Proverbs 1, to move the witness of our church and of Christ out of the shadows and onto the crossroads of our community. When we lived in Savage, tucked away in that uh, little area in the downtown of Savage, it was almost universal, but certainly commonplace when we talked about our church and someone had never seen it, they would ask where it was, you would explain it, and their eyes would glaze over. Uh, they, they were confused. No one ever knew where the building was. 
Today, as we've come to this place, and this was one of our intentions, it's very hard to find anybody who lives around here that does not know where this building is because of its location. That was intentional. We wanted to and talked about at great length getting our ministry out into visible space where we could have increased opportunities to share the gospel of Christ and to minister to our community. And that has happened. In just three years, it's not a lot of time for analysis, but it is quite clear that more unbelievers are hearing the gospel of Christ in this place than we ever even got close to, uh, hidden away where we were before. That's not a justification for it necessarily, but it's certainly a fruit. Our second motivation was to establish a permanent base of operation from which to launch more effective efforts to build up Christ's church locally and globally. So to be seen and to be a base of operation that was more solid and effective. Again, a building is not essential to that end. We know that. Many believers through the world don't even have a church building. But this building has enhanced our mission to edify Christ's church. It has permitted us as a tool to be such a place. Just in the three years that we've been here, we've seen some things we did not even plan on. A missionary sending seminar from outside of our church. A large marriage conference outside of our church. Many, many weddings taking place here and only and restricted to gospel preaching churches proclaiming that message within our building and serving other believers that way. One of the visions that we had, and we'll see where this takes us, but was to use this facility to begin to train other pastors. And we've been able to do that with our shepherding seminars. We did that at the other building, but much more comfortable here, much more effective here. And uh, then here recently in our Bible conference with Bruce Ware, what a tremendous opportunity to see uh, 50 church leaders from around the region coming in here to gain that training and to develop uh, their theology and their knowledge of Christ together. This was one of the visions that we had, and it's only beginning. Another was to plant a local church from this location, a location that would be able to serve that uh, infant church, should God permit us to do that, a place they could come back and use and find as a base and, and of operation. Again, in our last building, uh, that was uh, we did not believe very possible Uh, from the standpoint that we were using every square inch of it uh, all the time. Um, I was just looking through records this week, not looking for this, but just noted there that my uh, class that I was teaching at the building in Savage was meeting in the furnace room. I just had that in my notes, that that's where it would meet, in the furnace room. It was not usable by others in in any way. Uh, We were using it up, and we believe this is a very beautiful location and solid base of operation. That's been intentional. From the start, we also intended for this building to serve as a base of operation in the service of the persecuted church. We believe behind what we might think of as the enemy lines where there are solid bases of support, this will strengthen the persecuted church and be helpful to it. Some of you remember this scene right in this room. Do you remember that day? Uh, While this building was being built, while this auditorium was being built, We gathered here together from our other location after the morning service, 
and spoke here and sang here, and we'll probably never forget that song, uh, those, that singing that we did. But if you do remember, too, this, this scenario, uh, I was just returned. In fact, I was in bad, bad shape physically <laughs> at this gathering. It's amazing I can remember because I'd just gotten back from India. And I was trying to stay awake and adjust to the new world, but uh, I told you uh, that day about Daniel. Remember him from Myanmar. His church moves from place to place, house to house, building to building, wherever they can secure space, until the government finds out somebody's meeting there, comes to their door, and hands them a document that says, we will not teach religion. We will not teach the Bible, in other words. At that point, Daniel's church knows exactly what to do. They pack up and leave. This church that this man has pastored from the start, I believe, I believe he's a church planting pastor, 11 different locations. And they have no idea if today they'll get the document and have to leave. If you remember at this setting, I stood here before this church, those assembled there that day, and said, this is their building. This is their building. This world may never afford to Daniel and his church in Myanmar the opportunity to have a building, but we will support them. We will be a base of operation behind them. And we were able there to teach Daniel for two weeks pastoral leadership and church life. And he learned much in that setting. And again, by God's grace, in just two months from now, if the Hindu-influenced government grants a visa, which we're not entirely sure will happen. We may get that low level of resistance ourselves here. Uh, we're waiting on word from them right now, but we'll be back in this position. We, as a church, with your support and ability, will be taking this message again to others who are in uh, India and continuing to build up the church there. This is their base of operation. We want that to be the case. We give this to them and give them our resources and our strength as we can. Um, some of you would not know this, but I want you to get on the page with us. It's important that you do so. We signaled this intention at the start of our relocation plan. How did we do that? Before we began construction on this property, we identified a church in a persecuted area and we built their building first. We gave to that end. It was a tough thing to do in some ways, but it was really a beautiful thing to do to put the first money forward, not for this building, but for theirs in India. And I speak just today of India. We have other projects. They're, they're not easy to come by, but we're thankful for the work in Andhra Pradesh that we've been part of. And as a first fruits offering, we built their building first. In fact, uh, supporting Pastor Devasahayam and Suvarna, we purchased the land. This church purchased this land in India. We purchased the well that the community uses, not just the church, but it's on the church property that we purchased, and we supplied the resources to build the building. Now, we do not support uh, uh, Deva Sahayam uh, as far as his salary. 
We're not supplying their living expenses. The church is doing that. That is their responsibility. But purchasing this land and building this building and well is something that might have been 30 years out for them if it would have ever happened. So we have the resources as we compare the two ministries to help them in this way. And this is so beautiful. But one week before our dedication, they had their dedication. That was great. And our, our missionary, Brother Shambu Day, was there, who has put us in touch with this church, and we've had contact with them in India as well as here. Um, I am not, I've met Devasahayam. Imagine why that's hard to say. But I've got to see it written. But uh, I've met him. We've talked. We've looked at uh, resources. We've looked at a lot of different things. I'm not permitted to go there in person. If I went there in person, I would put this church in danger, perhaps myself. So Shambu says, That's, we'll bring him to you, but uh, we, you cannot go there. there. There are so few people that look like you, though if I dress like this, I'd be getting closer maybe, but, uh, but there's so few people who look like you, you will be a magnet, and they will know something is going on. So uh, we, we were thrilled, however, to see this church dedicated uh, on the week before we dedicated this building. Now again, relocation, uh, this is the dedication service. I forgot that was there, but uh, Brother Shambu is there seated, I think, in the middle uh, on that slide. Yes, that is him. Um, relocation here was not necessary for any of this. Having said that, I believe that it is naive to dismiss the importance of a solid home base from which to launch such missions long term. It's important for the persecuted church that we continue to build up and solidify this base of operation. We need to stand solid in our position on the truth of God's Word and our devotion to Christ as our Savior and our joy. That's one of the ways that we must remain solid. We begin to drift in our faith. We're not supporting them. They don't have the freedom to drift in their faith. It can be a life and death issue many times. We need to be solid in our resistance to the form of satanic resistance that we face in this culture. Our battle is not with physical persecution. As I mentioned, our concern with this building is to keep it up and to pay for it. It has not crossed any of our minds until perhaps I've mentioned it here that someone would come in and destroy our building today. But there are many Christians in buildings where a machinery can be brought in and the building's destroyed. Or arsonists come in and torch the building. That's their battle. Our battle is different, but we have a battle as well. And our battle is to stand against the assault of the philosophies of this world which go against Christ and His kingdom and to stand true and solid in them. In fact, as some of the people we're working with are getting more and more into the world of modern technology, of the internet and the like, they need counsel from someone who's been there. You can imagine what is happening within villages and areas where the internet has not been there before, and they walk into this thing without any knowledge. We've had some knowledge of this for some time, 
and we can help them how to use it and navigate it and how to avoid the hindrances that are there for our spiritual walk, which are many. Some of them are coming to the place, and some that we are working with, some in Eastern Europe, for instance, who are coming into an experience of materialism like they've never experienced before. Here, having faced that from the very start of the life of this church, we have some opportunities to counsel and instruct and guide them in what they're facing as they face increasing materialistic uh, prosperity. And we need to thirdly be a solid church financially so we can increasingly focus on planting another local church and edifying churches worldwide with increasing faithfulness. Now before returning to uh, some practical considerations to this end, I first would like us to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And in this passage we learn that the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be a partnership in which believers share resources in order to advance the cause of Christ. That is very clear as we put this letter together with the setting and we understand what is happening here. From this passage, I'd like to draw out three lines of counsel for us as we seek gospel partnerships around the world. So not developing it within its context over a series, We're looking at this passage a little bit differently, but really more practically in outline. First of all, let me remind you, we've got to remember the setting here, uh, where Philippi is, where the Apostle Paul is. He's uh, on his second missionary journey. The Apostle Paul and his evangelistic team sailed uh, that short ways across the Aegean Sea and came to the city of Philippi. First landing spot or first place where church is planted in uh, Europe, here in Greece. And this became, in this city of Philippi, a place of suffering and triumph for Paul. Suffering, he was flogged and imprisoned for preaching the gospel in the city. Triumph, the jailer and his whole household came to Christ as Savior through it. It was an amazing ministry. So Paul and his team faced serious physical and governmental abuse in Philippi, yet they reaped the rich reward of a solid local church. A local church that not only responded to the gospel, but began to spread the gospel themselves. So it's been five years since he's heard from them, or since he's last revisited the church, rather, on his third missionary journey. And guess where Paul is right now? He's in jail, isn't he? Once again. Once again in prison for Christ. Was in Philippi, now I think most likely in Rome. When the Philippians heard about this, they send a representative, Epaphroditus, with a sizable financial gift to Paul. Paul's in jail, he's in trouble, let's send this man, we're going to have to supply resources for him to travel. It's a long trip. And we're going to supply resources for Paul so that in jail he's able to eat, he's able to care for his needs, Jails didn't provide that. That was your problem, generally. And also that he can carry on the evangelistic ministry that he has from prison. That was appropriate, legitimate, and in a, a way that could be pursued there in that setting. So they send along uh, this support. Now Paul, this theme of partnership is pervasive throughout the book. At least it appears in places. Chapter 1 and verse 3, for instance, 
he says, I, I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So this partnership that they're sharing is very crucial to Paul. And it's a partnership that even goes two ways, even for this jailed Christian. Chapter 2 and verse 19. 219, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for what? For your welfare. So you've sent money to me in this gospel partnership and I want to send a resource that I have, Timothy, to build you up in the faith and so that I can continue my work as a shepherd of your souls, we together. Now we will not again take time to carefully develop this passage, but I'd like to highlight three ideas, principles that emerge from this text which equip us and inform our partnerships with believers in their spread of the gospel throughout the world. So we're looking at that actually going on here in Philippi, and we want to apply that to ourselves as we participate in the same way. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Philippians 4 and verse 10. Paul writes, as he begins to close out the book, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking in, of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Notice the word need and content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and what? Need. It's a both and. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think the principle that we can draw for gospel partnerships from this text is this. No servant of Jesus Christ will ever need our financial support. Let's know that as a church that has resources and that is actively seeking to partner with other believers who have fewer resources, they will never need us. We should be infused with the humility to recognize this. Jesus never leaves His sheep to starve. He may take them through desert places where food and water are scarce. He may lead them through the valley of the shadow of death, but He will never abandon His people. So, verse 12, Paul suffered seasons of humiliation and hunger, and he uses the word need. Facing such need, Verse 10, he celebrates their gift. It's been some time since he's received financial help from them, he says in verse 10. I totally understand, I get it, he says. It's only because you lacked opportunity, not concern. It's been years, but I know it's just been opportunity. I get that, but listen, I want you to get something. I want you to get this, verse 11. God supplies my needs. I am in a state of relative need, verse 12, but not in a state of ultimate need. Why is that? Because of verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, and He does. 
Jesus always supplies the necessary strength for His servants to do anything that He calls them to do. Jesus makes no promise to supply strength for those who venture into foolish enterprises, although He seems unusually merciful to those willing to take risks for His cause, even sometimes when they're not all that wise. But the risen Christ loves to infuse His servants with strength all the strength that they need to face anything that this world throws at them. Now again, not every evangelist avails himself of that. We talked last week about John. Abandoned Paul's team. We talked about Demas, who seems to have pitched the faith because of his love for the world. So not everybody avails themselves of this strength, but it's always there. No servant of Jesus Christ will ever need our financial support, ultimately. But secondly, we learn that our financial support of other believers does please God, and it enables us to participate in the fruits of their ministry. We see this beginning at verse 14. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, it's, it's a bit unfortunate and a bit uncharacteristic, I think, of the ESV. This verse has got some problems with the translation. And, I, and I, I fear that it really misses what Paul is saying. And we, it's very unusual for me to say this, but work with me through this just for a moment. He says, it was kind of you. How do you take the word kind? A better translation is good, appropriate, commendable. He's not saying, you were really kind people to send me this gift. He's saying, your gift was commendable. It was beautiful in the eyes of God. So it was commendable of you to share. That word also has some problems. Entering into partnership is the idea. Participating in. So it's not, thanks for sharing your money with me. Thanks for giving me candy at your front door. Not that kind of sharing. But by sending me this financial support, you are actively participating in the work that I'm doing. You're sharing in that sense. We are partnering together. So it was commendable for you to make the decision, we want to participate in what Paul is doing as he's in prison. Specifically, they were sharing his trouble. The word means suffering or tribulation, often for Christ. So Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, and the Philippians, through their support, choose to participate with him in prison, in a sense. In seeking such partnership, the Philippians were, in fact, a unique church. He says that in verse 15. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So from Philippi, he had south uh, in what we know to now be Greece, uh, the, the nation of Greece. He had south there, and they followed him with a trail of money. In the beginning of the gospel, that doesn't mean the, the, the day that the gospel was first preached, but rather where it started with them in Philippi. So when Jesus Christ saves your soul, we learn once again, he also redeems your bank account. 
genuinely trusting Christ as Lord and Savior delivers a death blow to the idols of money and selfish interest. Those idols that muddy our affections for Christ. One of the evidences that we have experienced this cleansing is that we receive a new way of seeing our time and a new way of seeing our money. Jesus saves all of us. All of the individual. He redeems our bank accounts. He redeems our time management. He saves us as a whole person. Verse 16, he continues that even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, a close by town. And verse 17, not though, again, he qualifies, that I seek the gift. It's not your financial support ultimately that I desire. Here's what I really want, verse 17. This is beautiful. It's not your gift I want. I don't just want your money. Been beautiful, helpful, thankful, commendable. You've joined the fruit of my work. But here it is, 17. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not the fruit that increases to my credit because of your gifts. I'm seeking for the fruit that increases to your credit because you've chosen to partner with me as I'm suffering for Christ. The fruit is the rich reward that God gives to His people when they serve Him in faithfulness. So here's the picture that we should get. Reading between the lines, I think appropriately and accurately, on the Lord's day, the Philippians gathered, perhaps in the house of Lydia still, and they gather there together to worship the Lord. And when they do, somewhere in their gathering, they collect money for the Apostle Paul. They lay down their gifts. And by doing this, what they are deciding is we are going to be partners with Paul. We are going to enjoy the fruit of his ministry by being a part of it. It's an investment of our resources in the cause of the gospel. And Paul expresses thanks and again contentment. Verse 18, you don't have to keep doing this because I have no needs in Christ. But, verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When believers who have more than they need to live give money away to help other believers build up the church of Jesus Christ in another place, God smiles. Why is Eden Baptist Church so anxious to give time and money and labor to build up other churches? Why is that? Why do we go out on mission year after year identifying churches in our region across this country and in differing ways throughout the world? Why do we do that? The simple answer here, based on verse 18, is this. It pleases God. It pleases the Father as we send out help to people who proclaim the Son wherever they are sent. Thirdly, when we support other believers in the cause of the Gospel, 
God responds by supplying our needs. Not an equation. We don't put God in a box. But what do you think Paul is saying here? It's, I don't know how else to take it. Verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Don't rip that out of context. It's connected to directly to your taking your resources, you're sending them on to me to help me in ministry. God's going to supply your needs where you are. So there's an assessment that has to go on. And we as a church in a very wealthy land need to recognize this assessment needs to be a muscle at Eden Baptist Church. It needs to be something we exercise consistently, and that's this. It's assessment. It's an assessment that says we have more resources than they do. Now, no wealthy church has ever called us and said, can we help you out? And you know what? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. We do stand in a very privileged position in this world. But what we need to learn to do is assess. A gospel-spreading church possesses more physical resources than another gospel-spreading church or evangelist. Gospel proclaimer. When the church with greater resources says we're going to support the cause of Christ that has fewer resources, God supplies the needs of the ones that are giving. Now we can see this, right? Imagine that you are a parent and your young family goes for a walk in the park. It's a Friday night, beautiful night. You go through the woods and you're on this trail and everybody's enjoying themselves except that absolutely unexpectedly it starts to rain. And it really starts coming down hard and you're a long ways from the car. And three-year-old brother who against uh, who protested the idea that there would be anything necessary more than a t-shirt, is now screaming, crying because of the rain. He's freezing, he's a bit traumatized by it, and his seven-year-old sister takes off her hoodie and puts it on her brother, pulls the hood up over, and protects him from the rain. Now you're the parent standing there watching this in awe that your daughter has done this, and what do you say? Well, that's a really nice thing that you did there, but you know, it's, it comes with suffering, doesn't it? You're really going to get wet now, and I'm really sorry about that. Glad I brought my jacket, but you know, when you give your jacket away to your brother like that, your hoodie, it's, it's going to be a bit miserable. That's foolishness, isn't it? What do you do? You take your jacket off and give it to her. You say, that was commendable for you to do that. Thank you for thinking selflessly of your brother, and you put your jacket over this little girl to protect her, Right? Do we imagine that God's a less gracious parent than us? We as a church with resources give to a church ministry to support it and enable it. And God stands back and goes, well, it's a nice thing to do, but you know, get ready to suffer now. You've given away resources. Don't know where they're going to come from. That's what Paul is saying here. My God will supply every need of yours. You've given to me, God will respond. This is not a health and wealth gospel. You give money away and you'll get rich. That's just heresy. But what this is, is saying there's a God in heaven who is active. The risen Christ 
is spreading His message of salvation. He is drawing a people to Himself. And He desires for His people to partner together around the world to accomplish this work. And when He sees that happening, He rejoices. And He acts. This brings us, practically speaking, to the partnership that we share, not so much with other churches, but with one another. We knew from the start that establishing a solid base of operation for gospel enterprise would be hard. We knew it would take persistent sacrifice. We knew that it would take faith in the Lord to supply. If we were going to gain the financial stability that was necessary to be a solid base, it was going to take risk. We didn't know if it could be done. Honestly, we had reasonable plans, but none of us could predict it would work. What's amazing to me is that where we stand right now, we're still in the race. This was a seven-year project as we've come to perceive it. We're in the, coming to the end of year six, and we're still in the race. It's vital that we finished 2015 out well. You've seen competitive swimming probably somewhere, right? The Olympics or something like that. These swimmers giving all that they have to in this lap, and then what happens when it's a multiple lap race? You know, you know that, that, that intriguing move? They go down underwater, turn, get their feet on the side of the pool, and push off on that last lap. And as if you know anything about swimming, and I know pretty much this, and that's about it, but, but I know that, that when you do that, that is crucial. You can have a person that's leading in the race, and they don't turn well, and then suddenly they come up out of the water on that last lap, and they're behind. It's crucial that you make that turn well. This is where we are. We are making the last turn right now at the end of 2015 to finish out this last year of 2016, a three-year program of giving, and that's right where we are. It is vital that we concentrate on this turn. I don't think we can ultimately concentrate overly much on all of next year, but if we can narrow our concentration to right now, 2015, and finishing out this year well, we'll be in the race when we come up out of the water and start swimming this last lap of 2016. Now as we look at our commitments, uh, that is people who committed at the front side of this and have fulfilled those commitments, we can rejoice in this graphic that approximately 60% has come in. That puts us a little behind year-end 2015 with two months to go. So we're in the race. We make a good turn here. We come up out of the water for the last lap. We may be in the lead. We've fallen behind a bit from year one, and that's maybe to be expected as, as money was infused at the beginning. But this is where we're at as far as those who have made a commitment to this process to get our financial house in order to be solid going forward in ministry. Now, in God's grace, He's brought people along who were not part of that original uh, giving and have not made specific commitments. And we've seen $62,000 come in over these 
just less than two years from such individuals. And that is very much keeping us in the running. But these are two separate ideas in some sense. The commitments that have been formally made and the plan through three years or whenever they started uh, as compared to just the total that has been given. Those who have not made a specific commitment in the, in the church, you have not said, this is what I'm going to target as a gift. There is no necessity for you to do that as there's no necessity for any of us to give a single dollar if God is not behind that and desirous of it. But if you say, let me join these people who are bearing this weight and working from now to the end of 2016, if you would say that, as you walk out, there's a table that will have information on it. Just pick up that thing and read it. It's not an immense amount of reading, but it will explain things and make anything clear that I've not made clear. And if some of you, perhaps, would join with us and partner with us in the giving away of our gifts to bring this position, this church, this base of operation into right setting, we would encourage you to think about it and identify a figure that you would say, we're going to need God's help to do that. That's what I've done. I don't look at this as I'm raising money here. I look at this as this is, this is spiritual endeavor. God's won our checkbook as a family. And so we seek to put money into play to help the cause of Christ and we don't know how it's all going to happen. But we keep trusting Him. We keep praying. We keep pushing ourselves. Maybe some of you would join us and do the same, that we might get to the end of 2016 and be in a solid position for ministry advance. Um, when we talk about the persecuted church, and this is why I see these two so integrally linked, one of the most persecuted spots in all of India, which is persecution throughout, but one of the most persecuted spots is the state of Orissa. In recent years, these are pictures that have emerged from Orissa. Church buildings and properties burned by uh, Hindu radicals coming through neighborhoods and areas where Christians are identified. We realize that they're not all genuine believers in Christ, but these are the kinds of scenes that many true believers are facing and have faced in Orissa. This is an actual picture of a mob of Hindu radicals. You notice mostly young men. They were walking around from place to place hunting out somebody who would identify as a Christian and doing them harm. This is Orissa. This isn't every day, but this is very commonplace. Many refugees were recently created out of this crisis in that place. And in our work, we can't fix every humanitarian problem. But in our work as a church, we were privileged to identify through our missionary, Shambhu Day, this individual who has been trained in theology and is pastoring a church in Orissa. Now the way that our partnership has developed is, again, we have purchased the land for this church and we have built, and our finances have built this building and the lots of soil correction that went with it. We have more to do there, but uh, I don't have a picture of it finished, but it's been plastered 
and dedicated. And in this place of intense persecution, there is now a church that is operative. And the last time that Brother Shambu went, in fact, it was the dedication, he estimated that that building was holding 50 people in this village uh, that is very far from Christ. 50 people attended the service that day. When he spoke of Christ crucified and risen, 18 people left the building and came with him for counsel after the service, saying, we want to know more about Jesus Christ. We're not God. We don't know what God has done with that. But 14 of those 18 individuals professed to become followers of Christ that night. That's not something we can make happen. But by the grace of God, taking Him at His word here, I really believe that there will be people in heaven who greet us and say, you were part of my salvation. We share the fruit of such efforts. And we want to do this more and more as God enables So by His grace, we have a job to do in our house. We have a job of partnership to do here. And while I know we're pressing the time limits here, I would like us just to pause for a moment of prayer. And if you will stay with us as we receive our offering today, let's just dedicate ourselves to this task. Lord, as... Brother Shambu said of this report, only the Lord can do such a thing. Indeed, only you can draw unbelievers to saving faith. But we thank you that you do this. We thank you that Eden Baptist Church has been privileged to participate in this place. And we recognize that those burning buildings on that screen may turn out to be our building in Arissa. But Lord, we also see this as their building. And should that day come by Your grace, we will continue to support and strengthen and encourage them in their walk with Christ. But we do pray for their safety. We pray that this church would prosper. We pray for the Good Shepherd Baptist Church in Andhra Pradesh. And we pray for our other missionaries and contacts throughout the world where this church has poured out efforts in assemblies around this region and this state and throughout the United States. I pray that in all of this we will reap rich fruit according to your promise. We pause here to thank you for the privilege to be part of this work. And we are now dedicating ourselves to carry out this work on the turn of November and December 2015. And I pray that as we receive our gifts on December the 20th, perhaps some giving uniquely that day, we will be able to report on December 2017 how we've turned or how we've turned and where we are. And I pray that you'd bring us in 2016 to the place of stability that we've been aiming at for 7 years. Lord, will you provide that through the resources of your people? I pray that you would move some 
to the spiritual endeavor of realizing in a unique way that you have given us money that we would use it for the advance of Christ's cause. And I ask that you would teach us that and bless it and pour out your grace of giving upon Eden Baptist Church. We ask this not for the fame of our name, but that we might continue the kind of work to which you've called us and these partnerships in the gospel. We pray that you'll bring this about to the glory of your name through Christ. Amen.